Hey friends, I hope you're all staying as safe and healthy and comfortable as possible, and that you're taking care of all the people and pets and plants that are important to you. If you celebrated Easter this past weekend, happy Easter. I hope it was a good day for you. If you're celebrating Passover, happy Passover. This past Friday night, I was invited to a small get-together at the home of some friends for a game night. And when I walked into their house, one of the first people I saw was my friend's half-brother who works for Jonah Hill's production company. And this guy's full-time job is to read scripts for Jonah Hill in order to find stories that may make great films. And I shook this guy's hand. I had no idea he was going to be there. But I've known him since he was very young. Uh, and I hadn't seen him in a long while. Okay, And I did know that uh, he had this job, script-reading job. And uh, it was a weird moment for me, if only because... I've been writing, editing, and self-publishing novels for almost 15 years now, and I'm sure that not unlike most novelists who have been working at their craft for a considerable amount of time, it would be an absolute dream for me to have one of my stories optioned to potentially be made into a movie. Anyway, uh, I'm at this friend's house for a game night, and uh, before we all sit down to play this board game, which was the game Balderdash, by the way, uh, the half-brother of my friend says to me, uh, I understand that you're a writer. To which I said something like, uh, yes, that's true. And in that moment, I thought to myself, is this an opportunity? And then I thought, Andy, you're at a friend's house to have a nice night and play a board game. You are not here to talk shop or to try to convince this young man to read one of your books in the hopes that he'll like it enough to pass it along to Jonah Hill. And I thought to myself, would I like it if I was at the house of someone in my family with my wife, because this guy was with his wife, and I had someone approach me about how they might get the company I work for to represent them in some way? And the answer was no. I, I would not like it at all, especially if, if I was there to have a fun night and not to talk about work. So I didn't say anything further about my writing. And uh, we played a game of Balderdash, in which I got to be the dasher for the entire game, which was a lot of fun for me. It basically meant I, I ran the game. And everybody seemed to have a good time, and it was a, a nice night. And, and just because I didn't attempt to force my stories in on my friend's celebrity-adjacent half-brother, it doesn't mean I will no longer be forcing my stories on you, dear listener, okay? Because while there are no ads... And there is no Patreon set up for the People Are the Enemy podcast. I am a self-published author with 10 novels currently available for purchase worldwide in both paperback and ebook formats via Amazon. And if you don't use Amazon, you can find and purchase all 10 of my stories in ebook format at Google Play. Just search my last name, M-A-S-C-O-L-A. That's how you'll find me on Google Play. If you love this podcast, and if you'd like to help support it and myself monetarily and get yourself or the reader in your life some quality fiction, please consider buying any or all of my books. If you've already purchased any or all of my books, thank you, thank you, thank you. I sincerely appreciate your generous patronage. And with all that out of the way, here's the quirky theme song.
People Are the Enemy listeners. This is episode 275 of the People Are the Enemy podcast. Thank you so much for checking it out. You're in the right place. You found it. Come on, you weirdos. You beautiful freaks. You. Who's with me? You're with me, right? They don't get it. They'll never get it. Do they know what's good? Look at what they're listening to. They have no idea what's cool. Is this cool? I don't think so. Am I cool? No. <laughs> but. But I'm going to bring it to you. We're going to have fun. And you're right. And they're wrong. So I'm going to ask you again. You know what I'm going to ask. Here it comes. Say it along. Come on now. Who's with me? That's right. You're with me. All right. Let me take it down a bit here. Thank you, Jack White. That was, uh, for those who don't know, that was uh, the song Corporation from Jack White. That was uh, from the Boarding House Reach album of some years ago. An album I still really, really like, and it was super polarizing. I loved that when that album came out because there were critics who loved it and there were critics who hated it. And to me, that's the most exciting time of all. It means that, you know, it's a real polarizing piece. And uh, of course, when you see reviews that are really uh, adamant about how great something is and then reviews about how adamant something terrible is, you want to find out what you think about it. So you go and seek it out immediately. And uh, yeah, I reviewed it for Surviving the Golden Age and I gave it a very, very good review because uh, I love it. I still love it. I still think it's excellent. Is it, uh, is it different? Absolutely. Is it polar? Is a polarizing listen? Yeah, man. If all of you, you've ever heard is The White Stripes and you hear that album, you're going to be like, what is this? But yeah, that's uh, Jack White. He's an artist. He's still he's still reaching, man. He's still trying to find the stuff that inspires him and bringing it in. You know what I mean? He's doing all sorts of weird stuff on that album. It's and it's it's wonderful. And I believe time if it hasn't already vindicated that album, it eventually will. Where people will say this is a this is a weird little masterpiece and it's wonderful, you know? A lot of people, I think, gave up on Jack after The White Stripes. And I don't think, you know, intentionally, not as in any kind of rude way, but I think they just said, oh, yeah, White Stripes are The White Stripes. I'm not interested in hearing what this guy's solo, solo stuff is. But, yeah, Blunderbuss, his first album, was very, very good. Uh, and that album is very, very good also, Boarding House Reach. I can't speak too much on the other albums, though I've, I've heard them. But uh, those are the two I've spent the most time with, Blunderbuss and Boarding House Reach. And I like both of them a lot. Uh, speaking of artists, you know, we lost uh, Ryuichi Sakamoto this past week. I, I, to be honest with you, I did not know, and, 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 and forgive me if I'm saying his name wrong, I, I'm not hugely familiar. I knew Yellow Magic Orchestra, the, uh, the trio that he came from, and uh, I'd had one of their albums, I think I bought it at a, a flea market. And uh, you know what? I'll, and I'll be honest with you. While I'd, I'd liked some of their singles, this album in particular that I purchased very cheaply was was not very good. I could see why it wasn't it wasn't uh, you know coll considered collectible and highly priced. It was it wasn't a very good album. Probably not a good representation of Yellow Magic Orchestra. 
But uh, but uh, Ryuichi or Ryuichi, I'm not sure how you say his name, and forgive me again if I'm saying it incorrectly, passed, I think he was 71 this past week. But uh, as a solo artist, he'd had a, a beautifully vast discography that uh, that I, I took a, a dive into this, this past week, if only because, again, I, I wasn't familiar. And some of it I liked a lot, some of it I liked a little, and some of it I didn't care for at all. He, 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 a lot of it seemed like, you know... The early electronic stuff and the electronic experimentation was was kind of wonderful. You know what I mean? Where he's, you know, you could tell like, and, and what I'd read is this was the really early 80s. And uh, at the time, electronic music was so new that there were things that he was doing with this equipment that were, you know, the production was very hard to to accomplish. If You know, it was, it was it was hard to come up with, you know, get these weird sounds out of these machines, I'm told, you know. It wasn't just a matter of a simple synthesizer or an electric piano, you know. This was much more complicated. So, you know, a lot of it was very simplistic uh, in terms of, you know, what we're, compared to, like, what we're familiar with today as far as electronic music is concerned. But uh, he was he was kind of on the forefront of, of those those uh, people who were experimenting with electronics and, and coming up with wonderful sounds and, and and again a hugely vast discography and I barely scratched the surface, you know, just in terms of his solo stuff. But uh, rest in peace, Ryuichi Ryuichi Sakamoto. Again, maybe that sounds the same. I think uh, I think my um, my phone pronounced it Ryu Ryuichi. Sakamoto. So I don't know if that, that first eye is silent. Again, forgive. Um, but uh, but yeah, a sad loss for sure. Anybody, you know, it, it, I'm always impressed by anybody who, who can, um, who spends their, their life or a bulk of their life producing art and um, and continually tries new things and, uh, and, and continues to, like I said, I guess in comparison to Jack White, just like reaching, you know, trying to, to, to grow and expand their palate in order to bring it into filter it through their own their own intelligence and their own you know creative senses and and draw out something uh, wonderful and original and uh, and Ryuichi seemed to do that I will not continue saying his name as I'm sure I'm butchering it speaking of butchering it oh my gosh did they butcher my lunch this week at work yeah, I know that's a weird segue, but uh, <laughs> we had like a, a, what was it, 10, 11, 12, I think it was like a four-hour training session at work this week, and uh, they sent out a menu, and they said, we're going to order from this place, and uh, so pick what you want, and uh, add it to the spreadsheet, and we'll, 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 we'll have it for you when lunchtime comes around. So I looked at the menu, and there was a veggie burger on there, and I'm like, oh, well, I'll, I'll eat a veggie burger for lunch, that sounds, that sounds quite good. And uh, there were French fries, and I always like French fries. And uh, and I said, okay, so I'll put the veggie burger and French fries and a side of mayo because I don't care for ketchup. I, I I shouldn't say I don't care for it. I lost taste for it. I I used to use ketchup a lot as a younger person, and then at one point I tried to get off sugar altogether. And ketchup, obviously, or maybe not obviously to some people, it has sugar in it. And so I I changed to to mayonnaise as an alternative. And uh, anyway, so I. I, in my order, I put, you know, veggie burger with french fries and a side of mayo. So this meeting starts and, and everything is going along and uh, they took a break for lunch. And what they did was they came in with these these brown paper bags filled with all the lunches, individual lunches and these little uh, styrofoam-like containers. And they started passing them out because everybody's lunch had their name printed on it as well as uh, as well as the items inside. So whatever you happen to order. 
uh, and they, they gave me mine, and I looked at the label on the top, and it was precisely what I asked for. And there's my name, and there it is, Veggie Burger with uh, with French fries and a side of mayo. Okay, perfect, okay. I, I opened the thing up, <laughs> and the first thing I see, this is awful, and uh, forgive me. If you're eating right now, maybe stop. I don't know. Um, the first thing I see is a hair. Yeah. And I was like, oh, you gotta be, you gotta be effing kidding me. And I'm sitting in this meeting and there's a lot of people and they're all getting their meals and everybody is, you know, sitting there nicely and I'm looking and I'm not going to throw a fit. What am I going to do? Right. And it's like, God, God darn it. I got to pull this hair out. <laughs> so like, and then it's just like, you know, you just see like that, like, I mean, first of all, it's so gross and it's such a turn off and like my appetite immediately just like was gone. You know what I mean? I was like, you gotta be, you gotta be effing, you gotta be effing kidding me is what I was thinking. <sighs> so I reached down and it's on the edge of the container, but it's under my meal. You know what I mean? And I pull it out and it's a longish hair. It's probably like four and a half, maybe five inches long. Which means, I guess, it could belong to either a man or a woman. I'm hoping, like, maybe it's a woman. Like, I don't know why. Like, maybe I just assume a woman will be cleaner. Or it's just because, you know, I, I you know, I don't know. I don't know why it's, like, less repulsive But if it's a woman. But I pull it out, and I just kind of throw it away. And I'm like, Andy, you just have to sit here and eat this and forget about the hair. And just proceed to eat this meal. And then I look at the meal, and it's wrong. The entire thing is wrong. <laughs> The entire thing is wrong. The hair was a sign. First of all, there's no veggie burger. It was a wrap. And it was like, well, all right, well, I didn't order a wrap. And if there's any meat in this, I can't eat it. And I look at the thing, and there's there's no, like, patty in it at all. There's no, like, protein in it. It's literally all vegetables. So it's just, like, lettuce and hots and tomatoes and pickles and onions. And, like, it's it's basically, like like a vegetable, like a veggie wrap, right? Without, it's not like, there's no patty at all. You know what I mean? And I'm just like, oh my God. And then, then I look over and I'm like, well, at least there's fries. No, there's no fries. It was chips. But here's the one saving grace of this meal that they botched. <laughs> These chips were homemade. And supposedly this restaurant was known for their homemade chips, meaning like that was kind of like their, their signature, um, their signature specialty or side, like people really like these homemade chips. And to their credit, they were pretty good. You know what I mean? And they're thicker than a regular chip, but they're crispy. And it was nice. Did I eat the sandwich? I ate it. I did. Because what else was I going to do? Like I said, I'm sitting there in a room full of people, you know, like I can't just like, you know, just throw a fit or gag or toss the thing. Like, what am I going to do? Or say, ew, I got ew. You know, like, I'm not going to be like that guy, you know, because everybody else is eating nicely and quietly and it's a professional meeting. You know, I'm not going to be a, you know, I'm not going to be a disruptor of any kind. So I sat there and I ate the thing and uh, I just, uh, I tried to forget about the hair and uh, just, I mean, just gross, man. You know, I've never had a good kitchen trash can. Like, never. Every kitchen trash can we've ever had in, in our house has just been, it's just been awful. And my wife, like, when we first moved in, she bought this really nice, what she thought was a very nice kitchen trash can. It was, like, like really heavy metal, and it was, like, a half circle, so you could put it against the wall, and it doesn't, you know, obviously it's, 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 um, 
it it considers the space, you know what I mean? It's it's perfect for that. It had a foot pedal on it and a big plastic lid that kind of closed over the entire top so that it would, you know, conceal anything inside if there was any kind of smell or anything like that. Yeah, it broke immediately. Yeah, the foot pedal busted. You know, the, the kind of, like, the ratchet mechanism that opened and closed the top of it was all messed up. It would just fall apart, and, like, you, I'd have to, like, literally just kind of put the thing together just so it wouldn't make clanking sounds whenever I opened it up. It was just a mess, man, and, like, and it was awful, and I, I complained about it. Like, it cost a lot of money, and it broke soon after we got it. So my, my wife went out and replaced it, and she got just a very basic plastic kitchen trash can like you know exactly what you kind of, what you think of like you know something not expensive looked like something that you could buy at any kind of department store again it had a foot pedal but it was all plastic instead of the metal and has a lid on it but it had like these pieces on the inside of it that were kind of like like u-shaped pieces that went on either side and it was supposed to like these pieces when you hit the foot pedal i guess the idea was that they kind of spring up and open the top but that busted immediately again same thing just broke so every time i go to like change this this trash bag in there there's one plastic piece left basically what you do is i i, I, I extend you know one side of a trash bag over over one side of the can and then I kind of pull it across and then I try to wrap it around again this u-shaped piece and then fold it down but it, again it's it's so tight it like keeps springing back up or it springs down it can't like it's awful and I'm just thinking like you know like some things are right initially you know what I mean like you never see metal cans anymore meaning like the ones that people used to put their trash in and put out on the street but let's bring those back because honestly it's simple yeah they're ugly but I, I, in all honesty, they worked great. And like, it was just, what was it? Just a, a, a metal can. You know what the kind of can I'm talking about? Like the, the Oscar the Grouch can, right? <laughs> you know, there's a reason why that guy's lived in that, in that trash can for 50 years now. <laughs> it's a, it's a good solid home, man. You know? And, uh, uh, but yeah, and I understand that they're just meant for outside, but they make smaller versions of those. And why can't, I mean, here's the thing. I understand the aesthetics aren't ideal. <laughs> It's like you just again if you ever see those now they're they're usually outside they're probably you know they're probably being used for some business rarely do i see them outside of a home you know or put out for the trash all the trash cans in our neighborhood they're all like those 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 ones that have been issued by the city you know with like the the lids that are attached you know so that they can be picked up by the truck and automatically dumped and i understand it's more efficient and uh, it's fine but but in all honesty, the kitchen trash can, somebody, I think we got to go back to basics on the kitchen trash can, folks. That's what I'm really trying to say. That's what this podcast is all about. This episode is all about the kitchen trash can. <laughs> and let's bring it back to the, let's bring it back to the metal cans with the, uh, the simple lid on it, right? And then kids can use that as a shield, <laughs> you know, and they have dirt clawed fights outside. We'll get back to that. <laughs> all right. All right, let's 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 bring this around full circle now because I got something really cool to play for you. Okay, and you're gonna dig this. This is cool. Let me get this. First of all, I'm gonna put my phone on, prop my phone up on this. This a friend is a gift you give yourself. Pillow. <laughs> it's a little pillow. Okay, this is cool. Again, I'm bringing it all back around. I found this clip earlier, and uh, it's Jack White again of the White Stripes, and what he's doing is uh, he's naming Beatles songs after only having heard them for one second. It's pretty impressive. Okay, 
check this out, okay? This is, again, is Jack White of the White Stripes. And uh, what is the other band he's in? The Raconteurs and uh, Third Man Records and uh, Jack White of Jack White, okay? Here he is uh, naming Beatles songs after only hearing one second of them. Ready? Check this out. You want to prove it right now? Okay, yes. Boys. Lady Madonna. Kenya Birkinsing. Julia. Uh, roll over Beethoven. I'm looking through you. Um, eight days a week. Okay. It won't be long. impressive i thought that was pretty good can you guys do that i don't know if there's any band i could do that for but uh, i thought that was amazing at this point we are going to hand things off to our friend rachel from des moines and she is going to give you the chart chat so without any further ado take it away rachel thanks andy hello and welcome back to rachel's chart chat for another week uh, recently, I was listening to the 1980 chart from last week, and I heard Captain and Tennille's Do That To Me One More Time at number 27, on the way down from number one. And it reminded me of humorous Dave Barry's take on the song. I mean, she seems to be saying, yo, Romeo, that's all? You're done? Personally, I feel like how someone interprets that song says more about them and their own insecurities than it does Miss Tony Tennille. But it did give me an idea for another chart chat presents to talk about this bad song survey that Dave Barry did with his readers back in the early 90s. So first, I'm going to read the original column and then come back for some discussion of the songs. I liked it. It's got a good beat and you can drive to it by Dave Barry, September 6, 1992. Recently, I was chosen to serve as a musical consultant to the radio industry. Actually, it wasn't the entire industry. It was a woman named Marcy who called me up at random one morning while I was picking my teeth with a business card as part of an ongoing effort to produce a column. I'm not selling anything, Marcy said. Of course, when callers say this, they usually mean that they are selling something. So I was about to say no thank you in a polite voice, then bang the receiver down with sufficient force to drive phone shards deep into Marcy's brain when she said she was doing a survey for the radio industry about what songs should be played on the air. That got my attention because radio music is an issue I care deeply about. I do a lot of singing in the car. You should hear Aretha Franklin and me perform our version of I Say a Little Prayer for You, especially when our voices swoop way up high for the ending part that goes... My technique is to grip the steering wheel with both hands and lift myself halfway out of the seat so that I can give full vocal expression to the emotion that Aretha and I are feeling, which is a mixture of joyous hope and bittersweet longing and the horror of realizing that the driver of the cement truck three feet away is staring at me, at which point I pretend that I am having a coughing seizure while Aretha finishes the song on her own. 
I think they should play that song more often on the radio, along with Brown Eyed Girl, Sweet Home Alabama, and, of course, the Isley Brothers version of Twist and Shout, which, if you turn it up loud enough, can propel you beyond mere singing into the stage where you have to get out of the car and dance with toll booth attendants. On the other hand, it would not trouble me if the radio totally ceased playing ballad-style songs by Neil Diamond. I realize that many of you are huge Neil Diamond fans, so let me stress that in matters of musical taste, everybody is entitled to an opinion, and yours is wrong. Consider the song, I Am, I Said, wherein Neil, with great emotion, sings... What kind of line is that? Is Neil telling us he's surprised that the chair didn't hear him? Maybe he expected the chair to say, whoa, I heard that. My guess is that Neil was really desperate to come up with something to rhyme with bear, and he had already rejected, so I ate a pear, like Smokey the Bear, and there were nits in my hair. So we could do without this song. I also believe that we should use whatever means are necessary, and I do not exclude tactical nuclear weapons, to prevent radio stations from ever playing honey, my way, I write the songs, I never promised you a rose garden, and watching Scotty grow. I have holes in my car radio from stabbing the station changing button when those songs come on. Again, you may disagree with me, but if you know so much, how come the radio industry didn't randomly survey you? The way the survey worked was, Mary played two second snippets from about two dozen songs. After each snippet, I was supposed to say whether I liked the song or not. She'd play, for example, don't Worry Baby by the Beach Boys, and I'd shout, Yes, play the whole thing! And she'd say, Okay, that's a like. Or she'd play, Don't You Care by the Buckinghams, and I'd make a noise like a person barfing up four feet of intestine, and Marcy would say, Okay, that's a don't like. The problem was that I wasn't allowed to suggest songs. I could only react to the generally mediocre candidates that were presented. This is too bad because there are a lot of good songs that never get played. My wife and I are constantly remarking on this. I'll say, do you remember a song called Boys? And Beth instantly will respond. Then both of us, with a depth of emotion that we rarely exhibit when discussing world events, will say, they never play that. I tried suggesting a couple of songs to Marcy. For example, after she played the Don't Worry Baby snippet, I said, you know, there's a great Beach Boys song that never gets played called Custom Machine. The chorus goes... I did a good version of this, but Marcy just went, huh, and played her next snippet, which was I Go to Pieces by a group that I believe is called Two British Weenies. I don't care for that song, and I told Marcy as much, but I still keep hearing it on the radio, whereas I have yet to hear Custom Machine. It makes me wonder if the radio industry really cares what I think, or if I'm just a lonely voice crying out, and nobody hears me at all, not even the chair. So that is basically where he got started on the topic of bad songs. But this original column really is about good songs, too, so let's talk about those first. I Say a Little Prayer for You. This was written by Hal David and Burt Bacharach and originally recorded by Dionne Warwick in 1967. I learned it was not initially released as a single until DJs played the album track off of Dionne's The Windows of the World album, and her version went to number four on the pop charts. Less than a year later, Aretha Franklin was rehearsing with uh, a girl group called the Sweet Inspirations, which were her backup singers, 
and they were just having fun goofing around and they sang uh, say a little prayer for you and realized that Aretha should include it on the new album they were working on. And critically, one member of the Sweet Inspirations was Sissy Houston, who, in addition to being Whitney's mother, is Dionne Warwick's aunt, so essentially could give the okay to Aretha redoing the song so soon after Dionne's version. The Aretha Franklin prayer made it to number 10 on the pop charts and is considered by many, including the songwriters themselves, to be the definitive version of the song. I would recommend looking up uh, the blog 365daysofaretha.com to learn more about the story behind this song. Um, I was also shocked to read Brown Eyed Girl and Sweet Home Alabama on the quote, play these more side. And I feel like by now, even if you like or liked those songs, they're definitely overplayed, but maybe it was different in 92. Uh, the Isley Brothers version of Twist and Shout. As I researched this, I was surprised to learn that theirs was also not the original. The first version was done by a group called The Top Notes as a very different sound and a different arrangement. Uh, Twist and Shout was the first top 20 hit for the Isley Brothers in June of 1962, peaking at number 17. But when Dave is specifying that that's the Isley Brothers version he wants to hear, I'm 99% sure he means in contrast to the Beatles version, which became a hit in the U.S. after the group played it on Ed Sullivan. The Beatle cover of Twist and Shout reached number 2 on April 4th of 1964. Another song Dave was pro on was Don't Worry Baby by the Beach Boys, which surprisingly only made it to number 24, but is obviously a stone-cold classic. He mentions that he and his first wife, Beth, both love a song called Boys, and I learned that was originally recorded by the Shirelles, and it was a B-side to their 1961 hit, Will You Love Me Tomorrow. Boys was also covered by the Beatles, with, with lead vocal by Ringo. It appeared on their first albums in the U.S. and the U.K., along with Twist and Shout. The group had performed Boys back in the Cabin Club days as well, with then-drummer Pete Best on vocal. And I recommend reading the Wikipedia page for that for some quotes from Paul McCartney on whether he thought it was gay or not for them to sing a song called Boys. And finally, the other Beach Boys song Dave mentioned was Custom Machine. This was an album track off of 1963's Little Deuce Coop. So probably less chance of getting played as an album cut, but we saw how it worked out for I Say a Little Prayer for You. From the bad song side, you already know I love Neil, and while I Am I Said isn't one of my faves, it's still really good, and it's easy to hand wave the chair line, at least for me. I got no quibble with the ones he mentioned all in a row, especially Rose Garden, although on principle I like it that it's a woman singing it to a man, because I learned that the previous versions were done by male vocalists. I do want to defend the two that he thumbs down, when he was responding to this Marcy. Uh, Don't You Care, I think, is a fine pop song. It reached number six in 1967. And the Buckinghams honestly had a solid run of hits in the sunshine pop genre. Check them out. It might jog some memories for any of my fellow raised on oldies kids. And I Go to Pieces was by Peter and Gordon. Those were the two British weenies. And I think it's a sweet song. Uh, their other bigger U.S. hit was called A World Without Love, if that name sounds familiar. Well, that's all for me this week. Thanks so much for listening for this little bit of a different departure. And we'll get back with you next week. Back to you, Andy. Thank you, Rachel. Awesome stuff, as always. This has been episode 275 of the People Are the Enemy podcast. Our theme song is Walrus Love by Nokia Ocean. 
You can find that song and more at pizzapuppies.bandcamp.com. My name is Andy Mascola. You can purchase my novels via Amazon and other online book retailers in both paperback and ebook formats for as little as $1.99. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you, Rachel from Des Moines. We love you. Peace.